happy are the pure in heart. You are the salt and light. Be happy in Jesus. It's amazing how life changes as you get older. Uh, when I was younger and 4th of July came along, I mean, there was always, uh, with my brothers and then future brothers-in-law and other guys that were hanging around my sisters at the time, it was always a time of uh, bottle rocket wars, firing them out of yellow wiffle ball bats. You remember those good old days? And then you went from that to watching when your kids uh, started shooting fireworks and, you know, making sure that... You know, that uh, the wick is about that long on that little firecracker, and then they have to run back, and you're, you're watching for them. And, uh, and then now your kids are older and kind of on their own and can do their own thing, and you look at life, and it's just different. I, uh, I had to go to the doctor this, this week. Uh, my right ankle, I thought maybe just I'd stretched Achilles tendon a few weeks ago, and... Uh, I'd, it's one of these things you just think, uh, I'm going to get better. Uh, it's going to be okay. So Wednesday, Julie and I uh, had the day off. We were running around downtown, and I left my phone in the car, and I turned to jog and take about three steps, and this pain shot up uh, through my ankle, and, and I thought, oh, man, this is going to be great. Fourth of July, I'm going to be, you know, laid up or something crazy like that. This is what happens. Uh, this is, I told someone, this is the preface to my getting older, I guess. Uh, so I go to the doctor on Thursday morning, and he says, you have an avulsion fracture. It's a small bone fragment that has come attached from the bone and now is attached to the tendon. And uh, so I wasn't going to just get better on my own and got some, uh, some different drugs, some uh, methylprednisone to help bring the swelling down and all that kind of stuff. And I thought... This is, you know, they're wheeling me around in a wheelchair, for heaven's sake. And I'm thinking, come on, I can walk. Please, just let me walk. And no, we're going to take you. It's like, uh, you know, it seemed like life was so simple when you were eight years old and just throwing bottle rockets. And uh, now it's, it's a little, little different. But, you know, the thing is, is I had a, a, some pain and a limp for a few weeks, but never knew what was wrong. It wasn't until they took an x-ray that they figured out that you have a problem. I could tell that externally that I didn't feel right, but it wasn't until they could look on the inside and tell that something was wrong, that there was an issue. You know, across our life, we can know, and there are people who know, things just aren't really right with me, but they don't know and understand why. And one of the challenges is, is that when we peel back our life and we look at our heart, there are issues. That's why Jesus would challenge us to have the right kind of heart. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series on the Beatitudes as we think about that passage in verse number 8. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. If you have your Bible, keep it open. We're going to slide over to a couple other verses in Matthew in just a little bit. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8 says this. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And with that, let's pray. Father, I I pray that you would speak to us today, and God, that you would challenge us with the truth of your word. And Lord, give us a heart that strives to be pure before you. In your name, amen. In Proverbs 14.34, it tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace, the CSB, or a reproach to all people. When we think about the world in which we live today, the real challenge of our world is not just our lack of education or finances. Inflation is not our biggest problem. The biggest problem in the United States is deals with what's going on inside people's hearts. And so as we think about this challenge that blessed are the pure in heart, this challenge that Jesus lays out, it is easy for us to sit in church this morning and to look out at all of the national depravity going on around us in any sort of, of measure, in any sort of way from uh, the, the whole culture to crime to everything around it. It is easy for us to look and say, look at all the nat- national depravity and yet in this passage, the Lord Jesus tells us that there needs to be a passion for personal purity. It's easy for us to look out at everybody else and say how bad they are, but I think in this challenge that Jesus lays out for us today, the challenge is, is are you looking inside your own heart to say, am I pure? Am I living a pure life? Because the greatest thing that you can do for your marriage and your family and your community and your state and your country is to have a pure heart and to allow that pure heart to influence everything that you do around you. When you get to that place where my heart is in right standing before God, and God, as he's moving in my heart, then moves through my actions and attitudes, then I will shine as salt and uh, light in verses 13 through 16. So the challenge that we think about this morning is really a challenge of the heart. As the Lord Jesus tells us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see and will always see, forever see God. But as we think about that, I want us to think around three uh, thoughts this morning as we think and look. First off, we have to take a personal examination. We, we have to look at our own heart and our own life. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, let's think about what Jesus means as he talks about our heart. So we think about the priority of the heart. What does Jesus mean when he says and talks about our heart? He uses the word cardia. That's where we get our word cardiac. When we think about our heart, that's uh, we're doing our cardio. We're working to, to, to strengthen our heart, those kinds of things. So this is the word he used, but he is not talking about this muscle that is pumping blood through the day. Instead, he is talking about the center of who we are. He is talking about our innermost person. He is talking about who we are in the secret places of life. This is why the Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it come the issues of life. 
The heart is the very essence of who you are. This is the center of your being. This is why Jesus would tell us that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. This is the center of who we are. That's why the Proverbs, again in Proverbs 3, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He's talking about our center and inmost being. There's the priority of the heart. But then let's ultimately look at the problem of the heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. The problem of the heart is really the heart of our problem. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it tells us this, that your heart and my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? But let that sink in. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all all things. Who can know it? There are depths of depravity in the human heart that sometimes are, are brought out through media that we just shudder at. And though you may not act on the deepest depravities of your heart, your heart can be deceitful and desperately wicked as well. As we think about our heart the center of who we are. We can lie to ourselves and others about what's going on on the inside. We can put on a show and cover up what's going on on the inside. This is one of the issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees themselves. A few years ago, I, uh, I just moved to Georgia, and you're a new pastor, and they're having their first work day, okay? And so first work day, we have a little outbuilding, and in this outbuilding, there is a freezer. And so they come and they find me on work day, and they say, hey, we want you to come clean up the freezer. Well, I'll just tell you, I mean, I wasn't born yesterday. I knew this was a setup. I knew this was a setup. I knew it was a setup when people followed me to the freezer and people were lined up walking to the freezer. So I thought, here I am, a new pastor. I've got to, I've got to go through. I just can't wave my hands and I don't want to, you know, I, you know, you're going to be a servant here. And so I, I walk into this outbuilding and I pull open the lid of this uh, chest freezer that is there. And can I tell you, the uh, smell was indescribable. And the moment of opening that and whatever I just released into my lungs was uh, probably completely toxic. (laughs) What had happened is they had some food stored out in this freezer and they cut the power off to the outbuilding somewhere along the way. And so for months in Georgia... This freezer has sat with meat in it. And when you went to, I'm telling you, it was not a good, good sight, nor a good smell. But the freezer on the outside looked okay. It was what was going on on the inside. Take your Bibles if you're in Matthew chapter 5 and slide over to Matthew chapter 15 just for a minute. Matthew chapter 15. And as we look in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus 
It says as approached in Matthew chapter 15, 1. He's approached by Pharisees and scribes, and they say, why do your disciples break the traditions and they don't wash their hands before they eat? And notice what Jesus is going to, to talk to them about. Look, it's the, the important stuff is not just washing your hands. The important stuff is what's going on in your heart. So, and we don't have time to get into all of it. Look, look at verses number 8 and 9. This people, they go through this honorable, ceremonial, man-made law of washing their hands. But notice verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship in vain, teaching his doctrines, humans, human commands. Slide down with me to verse number 17. Again, talking about eating, and they didn't wash their hands. And Jesus says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, slanders. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Now slide your Bible over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And pick up with me again. We don't have time to jump into all of this. But Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 25. And again, now he's talking about a bowl. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are, listen to what he says, you are like white-washed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What was Jesus saying? That you're like that freezer that looked like everything with the white paint looked okay on the outside, but inside you reek. It's terrible. You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. There is this, this strange, smelly funk, spiritual funk that's coming from the inside of your life that is way off and way out of line. And yet you think that you're okay. You're putting on a show. And there's where Jesus confronts. And listen, can I tell you today, probably in a crowd this size, there are people that on the, on the outside, you have your smile on today. And you, you have your church clothes on today. And you're walking through life today. But inside, you know that there's some spiritual issues going on. You know there's some unconfessed sin and some rebellion of the heart that is going on. There are secret things that your spouse or your parents or your children don't know about. And the Lord Jesus says, look, you're a whitewashed tomb trying to decorate the outside so that you look religious and pious, but on the inside... You're full of spiritual deadness. What a shame that it would be that these people who knew and understood the law wouldn't practice it because of their heart. The problem of our heart. But not only do we take a personal examination, but then we have to take really a theological consideration into this. 
Because if the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, how can I have a pure heart? How can my heart stand pure before the Lord? How? No, notice, blessed are the pure in heart. The word pure there. We get uh, the word catharsis. We think about a catheter that removes the wastes. We, we, how can we have a pure heart? Even the writer in the book of Proverbs in, chapter, in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 9, he, he asked the question, who, who can come to this point and who can say, I have made my heart clean and I have no sin? Who can say it? I've made my heart clean and I don't have any sin. No one can say it. None of us can say it. We all know that deep in our heart we have thought things, said things, done things that have displeased God. And from the very depths of who we are, we often want to do it my way. And live it out my way. And talk and act my way. And yet, what we find Blessed are the pure in heart. How can we become pure in heart? Well, purity of heart is the work of God in salvation. Purity of heart is the work of God in salvation. See, the Bible gives us a picture that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. But there is an answer. There is an answer to the heart problems that we have. Some of you have experienced heart problems in your life. Some of you have had uh, and gone through different procedures. In one of the churches I pastored, there was a man who'd, who'd had a heart transplant. Here, we've had a heart transplant. I mean, a whole new heart is placed in. And we think about, Lord, how can you take this heart and make it clean? Well, you remember when Jesus came. If my heart can have sin in it, who can remove it? When Jesus came, John the Baptist would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away. How does he do that? Well, this is why we think about the cross. On the cross, when Jesus took the penalty and the punishment for our sin, he, he took all of that for us so that when we turn and trust him alone as the only way of salvation, we can have our heart that was once dirtied by sin and, and the Lord can make it clean. Matter of fact, as we look at even the pictures of some of the Old Testament thoughts on sin, as Psalm 103 and verse number 12, it reminds us, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Or verses like Micah 7.19 that reminds us that the Lord takes our sin and he buries it in the depths of the sea. He takes it away. He splits it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it in the depths of the sea. The purity of heart is the work of God in salvation. When I come before Jesus and I pray to receive Christ in my life, trusting what he did on the cross for me, then I can experience a pure heart. But there's also not only this side of salvation. Purity of heart is not just the work of God in salvation. That purifies our heart in a judicial sense before God. But also purity of heart 
is the challenge of believers in sanctification. It is a challenge for us so that we should strive to be living with a pure heart. That means we're guarding what we allow into our life. Psalm 24, verse 3, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may come into his presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not sworn deceitfully nor lifted up his soul to an idol. Do you want to experience the presence of the Lord? Then our action has to follow up with the position that the Lord has already given us in Christ. So that now, because my heart has been made pure, I seek to live a pure life so that I can ascend into the hill of the Lord. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. See, the Pharisees wanted to do everything on the outside where Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not where we start. We start on the inside. And when I clean up the inside, then that's going to transform the outside. Spiritual transformation is not just me changing my attitudes and works on the outside and hoping that sifts in to change my heart. Instead, it's God working on the inside and that changing everything about me on the outside. So when I recognize that the Lord has made my heart pure through salvation, then I want to live a pure life in Christ. As we think of this passage in Psalm 24, let's think again just about another uh, Old Testament passage in Psalm 119 and verse number 11. You've known this verse. You probably know this verse. You may not have the address exactly down, but you know this verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So that I'm saying, look, I don't want this action in my life, but I want this word in my life. And this word has a cleansing effect. But let's turn to the New Testament just for a minute and slide over with me to James chapter 4. And uh, as we think about, about this call of having the right kind of heart, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 James is writing to believers and he calls them adulterous people. And he says in verse four, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? But then down in James chapter four and verse number seven, he says this, therefore submit to God. There's that picture of being meek. Okay, blessed are the meek. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he lays out a bunch of quick commands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Come to a heart of repentance. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Have you gone into a restaurant and seen the uh, inspection scores? 
Have you ever walked in and saw the inspection scores and thought, yikes, you know? Uh, or you walked in and you saw the inspection score and thought, I don't know which day this guy came, but it wasn't today. You know, you look around. Could you imagine if on a restaurant inspection score that the inspector drove up into the parking lot and he thought, wow, the parking lot's clean, all the trash is picked up. Look at the, the bushes and the mulch and the building. Everything looks beautiful and clean and the grass is cut and the bushes are, are trimmed and the mulch is in place and everything looks so nice. And look at the brick and look at the paint and look at the sides. Everything just looks wonderful. I'm going to give that place an A and drive off. That's not what the inspector does. And that's not what our heart inspector does either. He doesn't just look and say, oh, church Sunday morning, check. Good for him. Good for her. Oh, yeah, they, they picked up their Bible a couple times this week. Oh, man, check, check. Great. Yeah, oh, they listened to a podcast this week that was spiritual and challenged their spiritual life. Well, that's great. No. The Lord looks down in the depths of our heart and says, what kind of score what does your heart look like? What's really going on? For some of you, he may be saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. See, the challenge for us is, is coming to that place of saying, you know, the Lord is the one who brings purity of heart, and yet we have a place of submission and action involved in this sanctification process as well. That's what Jesus has dealt with in the Beatitudes. He has told them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That you're blessed when you recognize that you're spiritually poverty stricken. You're broke spiritually. And that blessed are those who mourn. They come to this place of repentance. They'll be comforted. And blessed are you when you're meek and you're humble to the Lord and his hand and his leadership in your life. So you see how this is happening. The Lord looks and says, man, you're poor in spirit and you need to come to a place of repentance and humility before me and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you come to this place where you begin to exemplify mercy to others. And then you come to this place where your heart is seeking after the things of God and you long to be pure in heart. So I challenge some of you today. How's your heart? How's your heart? Third, we see that there is a blessed application with this. I mean, Jesus always, always says, you know, blessed are you when this, because this. And he says, blessed, you're going to be experience happiness. This inner joy, this, this inner satisfaction, this inner peace. Blessed are you when you're pure in heart for you will see God. What a great promise. You'll see God. I think that that is something that we can know and experience today. That the pure in heart will see God. And they'll see God move in their heart and their life in the present. You'll see God in the present. You'll get to experience his presence and know when he's walking with you. Do you remember the story of Job? 
How could you forget, right? One day, his animals and possessions and all that stuff are just gone. But deeper down and closer to his heart, in one day, his sons and daughters die. Then he's stricken. And his wife, bless Mrs. Job. We're hard on Mrs. Job. Listen, she has watched everything in their life taken away, and she has buried their children. And now she sees Mr. Job sitting in ashes, picking sores with a piece of pottery, and probably in a momentary lapse of faith. You need to have empathy for this woman, says, just curse God and die. He loses everything. Then he has some friends, four of them that come by and basically say, you're hiding something. You did something wrong. You're too proud to admit it. Come on, come clean. God doesn't treat people like this. And then the Lord shows up. And then the Lord begins to speak with him. And the Lord questions him. And then something amazing happens in Job 42. Job replies to the Lord. Just listen to these words. After everything he's been through, not been restored yet, okay? Life's still really hard. But now he's been questioned by God. He's begun to see who God is. And he says this, I know that you can do anything. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. And you said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. And then he says this in Job 42.5. Listen. Job says, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know, it's often when we get to that place where we are in a desperate place and there is nothing that we want more than God. We're hungering and thirsting for him and we're longing for him. And that's when he shows up. He says, I've heard about you. I had the theology I knew the stories of Adam and Noah and Abraham. But now my eyes have seen you. But 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that we just see faintly, dimly now. But one day we'll see him. We will see God in the future. We will see him. We will see him. Job would cry, how did I know my Redeemer lives? And one day I'm going to see him. And, and as we look at John, as he would write in 1 John, he would remind us that one day when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And as Paul again in 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, now we see dimly or faintly, but one day we will see him face to face. We will see God. Hold on. 
You may feel like you're in a dark place today. Hold on. It could be that tomorrow's that day where you say, Lord, I've been through the theology and I've read it, but Lord, now I've experienced your presence here on earth in a way I've never experienced before. Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I'm at the end of my rope. I have nowhere to go. And it could be just God saying, look, I know you've heard about me. You've heard the reports. You've read the theology, but now you're going to get to see me. But one day we know we will see him and we'll see him face to face. On Wednesday, I called my mom. I call her every June 29th. I've done it for 27 years. On June 29th is my brother's birthday. My brother died of leukemia in 1996. And as I just visited with her, I was reminded one of the songs that I memorized as my brother was going through the challenges was face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. One day we'll see him. The church that I was serving at the time gave me this Bible in honor of my brother. There's two things I carry in this Bible that I keep in it and it stays on my shelf. The remembrance card from my brother's funeral. He died on January the 7th. His funeral was January the 13th. And then this little card that says BMH, Baptist Memorial Hospital, for 12 days later, it says baby purse stroke, 125.96, seven pounds, four ounces. I watched life come and life go in this two-week period, three-week period that was just indescribable to go through. But what I did see and what I felt sustaining me through it all was him. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. With that, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for purity of heart. Lord, in my own heart and life, I I long for that. Forgive me where I fall short so often. Thank you for this precious promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Thank you for Jesus, him providing purity of heart and forgiveness of sin. Thank you for your word. May we hide it in our heart that we may not sin against you. May we strive for holiness which without none of us will see you. And Lord, for the one who's struggling today, maybe struggling with sin today in this issue of purity of heart, God, speak and move in your powerful and awesome name. Lord, maybe there's someone like Job here today. It's not a reason of sin, but it's just a time of suffering. And they just need to see you today. Through the working, your peace, your grace, your mercy. Though they've heard reports, they've read your word. Lord, would you allow them to see you in a greater and fuller way? 
In the powerful and awesome name of Jesus. Amen.